0: Hi, this is Paul Butler. I'm the Senior Pastor of New Heart Baptist Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that this podcast will be a great blessing to you and encourage your life. I think of the two disciples walking on that road to Emmaus and their exclamation afterwards of, wasn't our heart stirred among us? You know, and it's that you know, when you have those, those stories of faith, but then it ignites even more when you're the one who's telling the story and you're saying god just open up this door i have to say this last week i've gone from early in the week meeting with a person who is absolutely traumatized and has been traumatized for years and is just battling in the midst of it but they're looking to jesus To another person who, on Friday, I looked at him and, and he shared with me of the horror that his daughter's going through because her workplace is toxic. And I said to him, can I pray for you about that? And he looked at me and went, oh, yeah? And prayed for him. Just this prayer for his daughter and at the end of it he looked at me and this face, his face was just almost just overwhelmed that someone else would care about his daughter. We wonder about heart to heart. Heart to heart is actually testifying of who Jesus Christ is. In our heart, that he would be in the hearts of all people, that they would open up their hearts to him. It's the stories of faith. Every one of us has a mouth. I have to say, I was chatting with Justin this last week. Justin, who is from Canada, and uh, he helps on the team at Belmoral. And he said to me, he was saying, oh, my family back home, they say I speak with an accent. Canadian accent. For them, it's an Australian accent. For us, as we listen to him, it's, an, it's, it's you know, more still the Canadian accent. And I said to him, yes, but you still speak. And the words that you speak, when you ch- and he was talking with some of the young people, and I said, when you speak, these, the young people, they're gravitated to your words and you're bringing life to them. What are the words we're speaking that actually bring life to people? This morning in the midst of our worship, what I was seeing was this blue that was coming from the throne down. Prophetically, the the colour blue means royalty, means priesthood, also means river of life. God is wanting us to soak in his river, to know that we have been called and appointed. As Abby was saying this morning, it's not just about a pastor, it's each one of us, a priesthood of all believers, that we would proclaim the word of God. We have all been called by God. And that is what we are doing in the heart-to-heart. It's not only enduring heart-to-heart, but at all times, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, who brings healing, who brings freedom, who brings life. That's what we proclaim. Isn't that good? Yes. yes? All right. Before I jump into this, we need some light relief. You ready? How do you get a country girl's attention? Attractor. <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? It's really bad. Okay. It's good? Yeah. Well, we're going to jump into this. Some of you might be familiar with the name Sabrina there's a movie um voice for the martyrs actually have produced this movie and later in the year we're going to combine with a number of belmoral and other churches in the area of belmoral and we're hiring a cinema to be able to screen this movie okay sabrina and richard Wormbrand. sabina sorry sabina and richard Wormbrand. they were persecuted for their faith in christ There was one particular time where Richard was in prison and these jailers beat the bottom of the soles of his feet so that he was unable to walk. And immediately, as soon as they finished beating him, he turned onto his knees and started praying. One of his jailers that was there that had done the beating looked at him and said, "'Why are you doing that? "'You know, you've cut off from all your family. "'You're locked here in prison. "'We keep coming and beating you. "'Why is it you keep praying?' And Richard looked at the jailer and said, for you. Powerful. See, in Australia, we don't have that same sort of level of persecution. You know, in the form of beatings for our faith. But there are, I have to say, many tough battles that people are going through. For some people, it could be medical problems. Others, it's family breakdown or separation. Problems with finances, isolation, depression, anxiety, the list goes on. But only this last week in the news, there were seven Manly Sea Eagle players who refused to play on Thursday night because they did not want to wear the pride jersey. They stood up for their cultural beliefs, but they're for their faith in Christ. Because for them, they said in putting on those colours, in wearing that jersey, it says it's not about inclusivity, it is about saying we agree with the lifestyle choices of those of the LBTQ. And so they said, no, we don't want to be seen to saying we agree with their lifestyle choices so we will not wear the jersey. Do you know the very interesting thing I found out Friday is that over in America with Major League Baseball, the Tampa Bay team, they had players who also were making the same stance. How many of us as Christians actually went, hey, really pleased with the stance of the Manly Seagull players? How many of us wrote to Manly and said, well done? I did. Why? Because unless they hear the voice, and by the way, I wrote it not from my church email, I wrote it from personal email address. Why? Because I didn't want them looking at it going, oh, typical, it's just a Christian. Okay? I wanted them to, at least in the midst of them getting a barrage of emails from people criticising them, I wanted them to get one that says, hey, well done for honouring the integrity of these these players. Talking of integrity, soccer player, Neymar, one of the top soccer players in the world, he is a devout Christian. He wears a headband, white headband, and on it it says 100% Jesus. But do you know what? If you go and Google it and look at it, half the time that wording is blurred out by the media. Neymar has been offered 500,000 euro per month for him to stop mentioning Jesus and also making political statements. So i believe that the persecution that we face here in australia is actually quite subtle and when it comes to some of the battles that we face we can we can actually take three different stances we could compromise we can complain or we can commit to seeing it through every one of us faces battles in different ways but in the midst of these tough and difficult times we might ask that question why why am i going through this Well, if we look at Job in the Old Testament, Job went through some pretty hard times, didn't he? But for Job, when he was actually tested in his faith, it was a test of his integrity and his reliance upon God. Which really begs the question, when we're going through really tough and difficult times and the battle seems so extreme, is it that we're actually going through a test of our reliance upon God and our integrity? really shifts the focus rather than being about the test and the problem. It actually puts it to perspective of, hang on, who am I actually and where's my reliance? I've also heard it said, oh, Jesus is angry or he's punishing people when we go through a tough or difficult time. I actually heard of someone only, only early in the week. They said to me, oh, that person, yeah, they're lucky. They had a bleed on the brain. We had to have emergency surgery to actually rectify the situation. And someone who was aware of the situation said, oh, yes, God's giving them a second chance to be able to repent of what they've done. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. There is nothing in Scripture to say that that is true. Nothing. And in actual fact, if that was the case, then why, after Jesus had died and rose again, did he go and find Peter? And the very first thing he says to Peter is, do you love me? He didn't scold Peter, but rather communicated love to him. Oh, look, the same was happening for the church and the people in Smyrna. They, Jesus had only good things to say about them, but they were going through some persecution and tough and difficult times. And he just says to them, do you know what? Here is my love and I am with you. And So that's the one we're going to look at today is the uh, second church out of these seven churches in Revelation. It's interesting to note that both Smyrna and Philadelphia, out of seven churches, only those two churches and not rebuked for something. The other five will get rebuked. Smyrna was a... uh, we looked at Ephesus last week. Well, Smyrna is about 35 miles north of Ephesus. And Smyrna was actually, just prior to Jesus' birth, it was destroyed by this massive earthquake. Since that time, it had been rebuilt and restored and now had a population, when this was written, had a population of around about 100,000 people. But Smyrna, it means bitter and it received its name from myrrh which was one of its major commercial products. We know myrrh, one of the wise men brought myrrh to Jesus after his birth, yeah. Myrrh was used as a fragrance for the living and an embalming agent for the the deceased. But it could also be used for relieving and dulling of pain. But Smyrna was this very religious city, had many temples and places of worship to these gods and goddesses. And in actual fact, they had this temple of Zeus and the temple of Diana, and they were joined by a street that was paved with gold. The city was one of great wealth and culture, and it was famous for its theatre and its, for its music centre. But it was a city that all the people in the city had one thing in common, they hated Christians. They hated them because the Christians, they loved Jesus above all else. And for the Christians, they stood opposed to the sin and the idolatry that was in the city. And so we read from Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Just look at those words, the words first and last. They are the same words that Isaiah used when he was referring to God. In Isaiah chapter 44 verse 6 and 48 verse 12. So he is assimilating Jesus is the same as God. They also echo the description of him as the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And it was Jesus who died and came to life again. By telling them that he died, Jesus was actually assimilating himself with them in the midst of their persecution and suffering. But also by telling them that he came to life again, Jesus is saying to them, even though the struggles and the persecution and maybe even death that you are currently facing, it's not the end because there is life for you after this. Because I am the giver of life. I have come back to life. And then we're reading from verse 9, he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you to prison in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown." Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So in the midst of their suffering and turmoil, it can be really hard to see Jesus. I met with a man Friday morning and he was sharing with me some of the struggles he was going through. And he said to me, do you think it's really hard to see Jesus at the moment? What was wrong? All these problems were just overwhelming him. And I asked him in the midst of it, what's has been a fresh revelation from God? What have you read recently in scripture that has actually ignited you? And he went, oh, I read this. And suddenly things started to shift in our conversation. For the people in Smyrna, although they were there in the midst of the turmoil and the suffering, Jesus assured them of his presence with them. He said, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, and, but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. When he uses that expression, I know, what Jesus is saying is, I know by experience. He's expressing that he knows what they are going through. Why? Hebrews says it very clear in Hebrews 2 verse 18, that just as you know Jesus, he suffered in every way and in, in the same way in which we have suffered. Why? He was falsely accused, he was falsely imprisoned, he was beaten almost to death, publicly ridiculed, crowned, mocked, stripped of clothing, stripped of his dignity in public, heard the very ones he came to save demand his death, executed as a common criminal. And Jesus says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. That word afflictions, it means to crush or to apply heavy pressure. The description is equal to one of you know, the um, wine and the olive, you know, when they are crushed in order to get all the juice out of them, that's the level that was being, of pressure that was being applied to them. Another description that was used was a form of torture whereby a person was slowly crushed under a giant boulder. The same word Jesus used when he said, in this world you will have trouble, afflictions but take heart, I have overcome the world. These afflictions also meant for some people prison. And back then when people went off to prison, it usually meant that they were going to be executed. And execution back then wasn't pretty. They could be killed by sword, burned alive, thrown to wild animals, which included being fed to lions or set upon by wild dogs, crucified, tarred, boiled in oil, and a number of other cruel methods and torments that they had devised. In fact, there was one Caesar who actually got the Christians, wrapped them in dead animal clothing, dead animal skin, put them out in the middle so that that way wild animals came and attacked them and killed them and just tore them to bits... Why? Because people were Christians and refused to renounce their faith. But their afflictions were also from the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. When we read through the book of Acts, on a number of occasions we read that it's actually the Jews who are stirring up the crowds and stirring up the authorities in in attacks and retaliation against Christians. Well, the same was true here in Smyrna. These retaliations, these attacks, were coming from the Jews. And yet Jesus calls them a synagogue of Satan. Not a nice phrase. But back then, when the people of Israel met together, they loved to call themselves a synagogue. Another phrase of that, or meaning of it, is assembly of the Lord. And Jesus saying to them, hey, you might call yourselves the assembly of the Lord, but you're not. You're actually the assembly of Satan why and he puts it down to two things he says one is your words the words they were using were so vindictive against christians though that christians became the object of ridicule gossip misrepresentation and lies the other reason why he calls them the synagogue of satan is because of their religion they worship their religion but not the living god evidenced by the lack of love that flowed out of their lives why because our god is god of love and Jesus says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Smyrna was this wealthy, prosperous city. And yet, although they had all this wealth around them, Christians were poor. They had poverty, they were in poverty. There's actually two different Greek words to describe the word poverty. The first word means needy. And today we might describe it as you know living hand to mouth by just getting by, you know. But only just barely. The second word for poverty and it's one that's used here means to be in the worst possible state of poverty imaginable. So despite all the wealth that was around them they were in poverty and Jesus says I know. Just because we are Christians does not mean that we are exempt from suffering and difficult times. These Christians, they were criticised and misunderstood and accused in four different areas. Firstly, they were accused of cannibalism. Why? They had the Lord's Supper. They ate the body and blood of Christ. And so people who were looking at them going, you're actually eating body and blood, you are cannibals. It all stemmed again from this misinterpretation, misunderstanding. They were also accused of orgies. Why? They met together and had love feasts. They shared together in these love feasts. And the love feasts were times where they just came together, shared everything in common, enjoyed meal and fellowship together. But for those who were onlookers who did not know, they went, oh, they're, they're actually, they had just heard the phrase love feasts and they made an assumption that was far, far from the truth. Third area was they were accused of being atheists. Because they didn't worship the multiple gods and goddesses of all those around them, one God. They didn't use the statutes and icons in their worship. And in actual fact, when there was calamities, when there was these natural disasters that took place, the Christians were always blamed for it, because they said, you, the people on onlookers said, "You're arousing our, the anger of our gods who are around us." And they blamed the Christians and said, if only you would worship our gods as well, then we wouldn't have these calamities. In the fourth area, they were accused of being political enemies of Rome. Each year throughout the Roman Empire, every Roman citizen had to burn incense on on an altar to the godhead of Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. Well, for the failure to do so brought severe punishment or even death. And for the Christians in Smyrna, they refused to acknowledge that anyone was Lord apart from Jesus. And as a result of it, they were persecuted and killed for their faith. And Jesus says to them, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. Now, if you were going to get a letter from Jesus... Alright? Is this the sort of letter you want? One that's gonna go, hey look, you know, you, most of us would want the letter goes, you're doing so well, you're amazing, I really am delighting in you. Blessing. No, yeah, no, blessing is blessing, all right? No, instead we've got the words, you're about to suffer. You'll be in prison to test you. You're gonna suffer persecution and even to the point of death. Wrong address <laughs> you want to send off elsewhere. You know, the so but looking at it, the source of the suffering was who? Jesus made it clear. Who's the source of the suffering? It's there. Devil. The devil. Jesus points out, you might it might be coming through these people, but where is it actually coming from? The, the devil. Okay? they It may have come through the people, but the devil was the one who was behind it. So many a time we can look at people and go, why are they doing that? Actually, you've got to understand, hang on, might not be that person. Who's the one behind it? And we make a mistake where we actually get angry at the person, and instead we need to actually fire the correct darts and say, No, Satan, get your hands off this in the name of Christ Jesus. Fight the battle actually where it is rather than just on a surface level. Jesus said that they would see it for what it was, that they were being tested in their faith, tested so that they would grow closer to God and learn more about Him, tested so that they would see their faith being strengthened but also so that they would use their suffering to speak of their witness and their hope of glory in Christ, hope of salvation. Because Jesus is the first and last, which means that Jesus knew the time for all things. And in this, he specifies the length of time. How long was the time, he said? Ten days. Now, are they a literal ten days? Well, there have been many debates about this. But if you talk to the people who were back there at the time, guess what, it lasted longer than 10 days. So theologians have come together and gone, hang on, maybe it's relating to the Caesars and the 10 Caesars. And if you get to the 11th Caesar, was actually a guy by the name of Constantine. And Constantine became a Christian and then wanted it popular all over the area. Suddenly there wasn't the persecution... I'm not God, so I'm I'm just giving you a perspective, okay? But ultimately, what Jesus is saying is, regardless of whether it was literal or symbolic, Jesus specified his period of time. Why? Because he is the first and the last. He is still in control. We may be going through tough times and he gives us a time and says, hey, this is not going to last. This will only be for a set time. Hold to his promise knowing that he is the one who holds time in his hands. And so he says, do not be afraid, be faithful. In being faithful, they would be victorious. The word faithful means we do not sway in our belief, knowing the one who is speaking to us is trustworthy. And faithfulness, it leads to victory. It is the same victory that Jesus promised. We looked at Ephesus last week. It's the very same word he used again here, and it's the same victory he's offering to them. But you do not get victory unless you overcome. And the word implies that there is a battle that we must first overcome in order to get that victory. So know that the battle is there, and as we overcome, we then get the victory. But we do not get the victory if we do not walk through and overcome the battle. We can't avoid the battle. The battle is actually for our growth, our reliance upon God. But when we turn our focus and look at me and go, woe is me, we're making it about ourselves. Jesus says to them, you're rich. Why are they rich? Well, he offers them two promises. I'll give you life as your victor's crown. Jesus actually does a play on words. And the reason is Smyrna was surrounded by mountains and it was almost like in the shape of a crown. And as a result of it, it was called the crown city. And Jesus is saying to them that they'll actually, as Christians, they're going to receive a crown, a crown that will last forever because God crowns us with eternal life. The second promise is the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. What's the second death? Well, Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. In the next chapter, Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8, those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The second death is eternity in hell, in that place of separation from the presence of God. And Christians, guess what? We may go through a physical death, but we will not go through a second death. Why? Because when we die physically, we go immediately to be in the presence of God. We do not go through a second death. Six years after this letter was written to the church in Smyrna, in 155 AD, a bloke by the name of Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna, the pastor of the church there. He was 86 years old only just younger than you bob all right but he was arrested at the request of an angry mob that cried away with the atheists let polycarp be sought out now the magistrate didn't want to see this old man die and said what harm is there in saying lord caesar but polycarp refused the opportunity to renounce jesus So he was taken to this stadium where all these people had gathered to watch the games. However, it was also there where executions took place. He was given the opportunity to renounce his faith in Jesus. To which he replied, 86 years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? After a few more attempts to get the old preacher to renounce Jesus, the magistrate sent a herald into the centre of the stadium to proclaim, Polycarp has confessed himself a Christian. So they led him away to the stake to burn him alive. And though it was the Sabbath day, there were Jews who helped to gather the wood for the fire. And Polycarp was about to be nailed to the post when he declared, Leave me. As I am, for he that gives me strength to endure the fire will also enable me without your securing me by nails to remain without moving in the pile. So they left him loosely bound and lit the fire. As the flames rose around him, he was heard to pray and rejoice in Jesus. Some, we're nearly 2,000 years later. And we still know of Polycarp's witness, his faith in Jesus. But the names of those who executed him have faded into the pages of history. See, our heart-to-heart is all about making Jesus' last command our first priority. That none would be lost, but all come to salvation, despite the cost and the persecution we may face. There are many people this last week who have criticised Christians and say, you are meant to be people of love. Why are you not being inclusive of us? Hey, we love, but we don't have to condone the lifestyle. Jesus said the same thing to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. He said, where are all those accusers? And she said, they've gone. And he said, well, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. He doesn't want us to live the life of sin, but he wants us to actually demonstrate his love. That we would stand and be witnesses and bear witness, like the people and the Christians in Smyrna, that despite the cost and despite the poverty, that's only temporary. We're looking to eternity. How do we overcome when we're in the midst of those battles, in the midst of persecution? Three things don't be afraid, remain faithful. Look to the promises of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Remain faithful. Look to the promises of Jesus. Let's pray. Now, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter to the church at Smyrna, its witness, its example that despite the heavy cost, they remain faithful to you. That they did not back down. That you didn't put in your word just all these nice, lovey-dovey things, that we all just feel good, but instead you've put these passages of Scripture that we would remain strong and steadfast. And Father, I pray... you would now anoint each one of us with courage and boldness to proclaim your love your truth and not compromise father there are many things of our world today pressures that try to rob us of our attention to take our focus off you and sure for the church in smyrna there was day after day, moment after moment, this persecution that they were facing. But still, they kept their eyes on Jesus. I pray that same prayer over each one of us today to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. But Lord, you are just stirring us. And it's a message that we cannot contain, oh, but we have to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And Father, when we are going through those tough times, to take the, the words of Jesus, don't be afraid, remain faithful and look to the promises of Jesus because you, Lord God, are faithful. And we thank you for this. Lord, as we go into this week, we pray your covering of peace, of hope, the joy of salvation let it burst out of our mouths let it just ignite in our conversations and let us be life givers as we proclaim jesus christ is lord we thank you in jesus name amen